the American people will never again be asked to foot the bill for Wall Street's mistakes. There will be no more taxpayer-funded bailouts, period. This bill will crack down on abusive practices and unscrupulous mortgage lenders. From now on, every American will be empowered with the clear and concise information you need to make financial decisions that are best for you. Welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Khanna Jaffe-Walt. Today is Friday, July 16th, and you just heard President Obama at the top of the podcast talking about the new finance bill that just passed yesterday. Today on the show, a multinational corporation takes on death. That's right, death. And decides death, death really isn't as bad as everyone thinks. In fact, it can be quite profitable. But Before we get to that, first, our Planet Money Indicator. I see, Jacob Goldstein, you've emerged from the blog cave. What do you have for us? What I have for you today, $550 million. That's how much money Goldman Sachs is going to pay to settle that fraud case that the SEC filed earlier this year. So let's just remind people the fraud case was about a CDO, one of those mortgage-backed investments that lost tons of money when the housing market went bust. But the problem, according to the SEC, was not that investors lost money. It was that Goldman didn't tell investors everything they needed to know. The key thing they needed to know, that a big hedge fund, Paulson & Company, was telling Goldman what instruments, what mortgages the CDO should be based on. This is actually quite similar to the Magnetar story we did on the podcast and on This American Life a few months ago. Basically, Paulson & Company was calling up Goldman Sachs and saying, hey, when you build this CDO out of lots of other mortgage-backed securities, pick really lousy ones. Make this thing really likely to fail because I want to bet a against it. But other investors didn't know that Paulson was telling them what to put in it and specifically encouraging them to design it for failure. So the settlement is interesting for a few reasons. On the one hand, Goldman doesn't actually have to admit legal guilt. And that's consistent with the company's position all along. They said the charges were unfounded. But on the other hand, there are these details in the settlement agreement where Goldman says, for one thing, it says it made a mistake by failing to tell investors about Paulson's role. And that word mistake is in there in the settlement document. The document also has this sentence, quote, Goldman regrets that the marketing materials did not contain that disclosure. It sounds like like the worst fight in the world. Like they keep regretting their mistake, but they refuse to admit their guilt. Right. And, you know, it it clearly has this kind of compromise feel to it. Like, plainly, the SEC wanted some kind of admission out of Goldman. Goldman wasn't going to say, hey, we're guilty. Ultimately, it seems pretty good for Goldman, given what they were up against in the lawsuit, right? I mean, they they are not going to be found guilty of fraud, which could have been obviously really bad for the company. They don't have to go through a long public trial that makes them look bad. None of the senior executives have to leave. And, you know, $550 million, not a trivial amount of money, but it's certainly something Goldman can afford. And and yet people earlier talking about settlement of up to a billion. So ultimately, not so bad for Goldman. However, if listeners are concerned about Goldman needing to pay this huge fine. We've set up a fund. All the information is on our website, npr.org slash money, for ways that you can help defray this this painful cost that Goldman is facing. I'm sure people will be flooding to the website for that. Exactly. Help needy bankers. Help needy bankers. Jacob Goldstein, thank you very much. I look forward to seeing what emerges from the blog cave as the day continues. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jacob.
So, Hannah, on today's show, we're going to tell the story of two enterprising business analysts who came up with a brilliant way of showing just how profitable death can be. Now, Hannah, I should mention you're doing what I'm assuming is a much lousier version of this story for <laughs> what's that hack show that's on on the weekends? What is it? This American Life, I think. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like they play music and tell stories or something. So um, that's fine. People can hear that version if they want. But today on the podcast, we're going to really dig deeply into the huge economic debate that sort of accidentally exploded out of these two brilliant analysts idea that death just may be good. Okay, so for most of human history, people thought death was bad, universally. You may be listening to this still thinking death is bad. Well, all that changed in 1999 in the Czech Republic. 1999 was an average year for the Czechs. The beer was cold, potato soup was hot, and the lawmakers were worried about the budget. And so they began unwittingly laying the groundwork for our story today by talking about a plan that lots of governments come up with every now and then. Hey, let's raise the taxes on cigarettes. And that led almost inevitably, as it always does, to reporters going around the streets of Prague. Uh, In this case, they were doing it for Czech radio, asking people, hey, you smoke. What do you think of this? On a busy Prague street, some shrugged, saying at most they would cut down, while others admitted once prices rose, they would consider quitting for good. I guess I'm going to have to quit. What can you do? I'm a pensioner and it really hits my pension check. I've already reduced the number I smoke to only 10 a day. Definitely it's a good thing. I'm for it. I myself am not yet ready to quit, but hope to do so before smoking begins affecting my health. When the prices go up, it will force me to consider whether I really want to put my money into cigarettes instead of, for example, sport. Tobacco companies hear this kind of news story and they're just thinking one thing. Wait, taxes, people buying fewer cigarettes, you're going down, you're going down, you're going down. (laughs) And that would be especially true for Philip Morris, the tobacco manufacturer. Philip Morris was the largest tobacco manufacturer in the Czech Republic at this time and in the world. And so they would have been most hurt by taxes. So the Czech lawmakers who were promoting the tax said, hey, we need this money. Smoking costs the government money. People get sick. The Czech Republic has public health care, which costs a lot. And it costs a lot more to take care of smokers, obviously. We need to be reimbursed. Which got the attention of Philip Morris people in the Czech Republic. And and partly because they worried that sales would go down, but partly because that logic that you just said, Adam, seemed flawed. I talked to Gordon Fairclough. He was a tobacco reporter with The Wall Street Journal at the time. And he tells me it was at this moment, somewhere in Eastern Europe, in some Philip Morris office, they came up with this idea that death... Death saves you money. Death is profitable. Well, they commissioned a study to tote up the costs and the benefits to the Czech government of its people's smoking habits. Do you have the study there in front of you? I do. Could you just read the executive summary of that study? Just the bold, bolded part. The bolded part. Okay. Uh, so uh, the beginning of the study says, based on up-to-date reliable data and consideration of all relevant contributing factors, the effect of smoking on the public finance balance in the Czech Republic in 1999 was positive, estimated at 5.8 billion Czech crowns. 
Can I just do a quick currency conversion? 5.8 billion Czech crowns back in 2000 was around $147 million a year profit to the Czech government. Okay, back to the report. So if you have people smoking and uh, their lifespan is not, a is not as long, uh, you record big savings on housing for the elderly, for example. Um, you get a lot because of savings. Because people die. On what you, because people die. Um, because people die early, you also pay less out in pensions and other social benefits to the elderly. People die early, you don't have to pay health care costs for all their non-smoking related uh, illnesses that they would get later in life. All of which uh, in this study are seen on the kind of the, the positive side of the, the ledger. On the negative side, you know, you have the costs of uh, fires started by people smoking, falling asleep in bed, smoking, doing other things with cigarettes. The financial implications of people who stop working earlier, either, you know, because they die or they get too sick to work. So the state then loses the income tax that they might charge those people. Um, also on the cost side is the cost of treating people for smoking-related diseases and for secondhand smoke. So I, I have the report here, Hannah, and it looks like, you know, like cost-benefit spreadsheets I've seen all over, you know, like some company would have, should we open an office in Duluth? Here's the cost, here's the benefits. There's all these subsections with charts and data. Yeah, Gordon and I spent a long time, you know, just going through the 28 pages, trying to make sure we understood each page. They're making the assumptions on how much the government will save based on based on what the government pays and, and looking at the average monthly old age pension of uh, 5,724 check crowns, um, which was the, the, so you don't the monthly have to pay pension that. in 99, uh, right? So you don't have to pay that. You don't have to pay the monthly insurance payments paid from the state budget for each pensioner, each retired person. Then you multiply that out by the 22,000 deaths due to tobacco smoking in the Czech Republic in 1999 with a nice reference to a uh, an epidemiologist, one of the most famous of the tobacco control epidemiologists there. And Khan, I just wanted to point out, because he just said something that's actually really fascinating. When he says tobacco control epidemiologist, what he means is an anti-tobacco activist who's also an epidemiologist. And uh, what we've learned is that when Philip Morris, when a cigarette company wants to make the argument that cigarettes kill a lot of people and that's financially beneficial, it turns out they have to go to their enemies, the anti-tobacco activists, to get the data. Then uh, saying 33 percent of smokers' deaths occurred during their productive ages. This can be as high as 50 percent, according to some sources. So and this, multiply they're, that they're, out. the references are to tobacco control people. They're using tobacco control Research. That's right, their own epidemiological numbers. You know, what the tobacco control people would tote up as the harm of smoking, and uh, Philip Morris here is toting up as the benefit to the Czech state. I read the report and couldn't believe that they had put it in writing. So now we get to one of those tobacco control people. This is Matt Myers. He works for the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids in Washington, D.C. In the years leading up to the report, he had kind of come to a new realization, and the anti-tobacco movement in general had come to this new realization that they needed to move on from the message of targeting smokers and telling smokers smoking is bad for you, and instead to move on to what they hoped would be a more effective message, tobacco companies are bastards and out to get you. For us, a report like this was truly like manna from heaven. This report was a complete gift. The next thing I did was sit down with our communications people and said, what can we do with this? 
Turns out the anti-tobacco communications people did not have to work very hard. This was 10 years ago, one of those stories that spread around the world. Hey, Philip Morris is adding up the economic value of dead people. It ran in the Prague Post, the Wall Street Journal, all sorts of other newspapers. Let's see. Uh, here's a headline. Death in the Ashes. <laughs> very nice. Tobacco blows its smoke. Uh-huh. But this one was my personal favorite. Smoking cuts elderly costs and elderly. Very clever. I remember that from the Portland Oregonian, right? Right. Matt Myers and several other anti-tobacco people saw their opportunity and ran with it. They put out this big ad campaign featuring a corpse at the morgue with a price tag dangling off a gray big toe. Let me put it this way. In one fell swoop, it allowed us to counter over $100 million of tobacco advertising, and that felt good. It was worth $100 million. Um, yes, in, 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 in critical respects. Getting our hands on that report allowed us to do, with almost no funds, what the tobacco industry had spent $100 million trying to do. So Philip Morris apologized and then apologized again and again. Top executives repeated that they never authorized the study, that it was done by a Czech subsidiary of Philip Morris without headquarters permission. They issued public statements. So Adam, here, you be Philip Morris. Read, read this here. We understand the outrage that has been expressed, and we sincerely regret this extraordinarily unfortunate incident. All of us at Philip Morris are extremely sorry no one benefits from the very real, serious, and significant diseases caused by smoking. Nicely done. And much clearer than the only recording that we could find of an actual Philip Morris guy from this time. Alice Yanko, their public relations guy in Prague, did one interview, one, I have to say, poorly recorded interview with Czech radio. We commissioned a study, and it was not about the health policies, but it was a part of an ongoing debate about the economics of cigarette excise tax policy in the Czech Republic. And I must say that Philip Morris deeply regrets any impression from this study that the premature death of smokers represents a benefit to the society. And after all of this, everyone in the cigarette industry agreed, we shall never speak of this again. <laughs> they shut up, and as far as we can tell, there's not been a single public mention of the economic benefits of the early deaths from smoking by anyone at Philip Morris since 2000 when this whole controversy exploded. The anti-tobacco people, though, kind of won't let this go. The anti-tobacco people didn't just focus on the idea that it's wrong to put a price tag on death. They did do that for a while. But then they said, wait, we should put a price tag on life. Philip Morris is just doing the math wrong. So Matt Myers, the guy we heard from before with the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, he's been doing his own studies about whether or not smokers save the government money, and his numbers show they do not. What we thought the data showed and what it turned out that the data showed was that tobacco was an enormous net drain on the economy. I think the numbers are very wrong. But it seems like part of the power of your position here is that you get to say, look at those guys measuring you know, the, the value of your death and the benefit of your death. That's ridiculous, and that's it. But now you are too. You're also doing your own economic analysis. We're very clear. Efforts to reduce tobacco use have nothing to do with economic costs. They have everything to do with quality of life. So, but you are doing economic analyses. You're, you're doing cost-benefit studies yourselves. We did not start out making that argument. The public health community um, 
began to look at the economic issues only because the tobacco industry argued that as a society, we couldn't afford to reduce tobacco use. We have to respond to the tobacco industry's argument. This would be the schoolyard portion of this high-level debate where... <laughs> you started it, they started you it. You started they started it. The tobacco company said, no, 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 it was the Czech government that started this whole thing about adding up the costs and benefits of smoking. Anyway, so you've got these two sides. You have Philip Morris on the one side uh, who are, you know, one can assume biased in favor of cigarettes. You have the anti-tobacco people who I think are not just going for objective data. They have a, a case that they're selling. So we here at Planet Money, we actually we actually want to understand what is the economics here? What's, what's the answer? Does the fact that smokers die early mean that they save the rest of us money? This is not, by the way, just a 10-year-old argument about tobacco in Eastern Europe. This is a big question that affects all of us, uh, something cities and states are thinking about all the time right now. I mean, we, you and I live in New York City. We're constantly hearing about maybe having a soda tax. Should we outlaw trans fat? Should we have a salt ban? And this becomes a really relevant question most of the times in related to taxes. Like, should there be a tax on cigarettes? Should we raise the taxes on cigarettes? You know, if smokers cost society something, how much do they cost society? And if you can figure out that number, then you can know how to offset that cost with a tax. All right. So let's do the debate right now. I'm going to argue that smoking is great for society. So there's that whole death benefit we talked about. You don't have to pay pensions. You don't have to pay Social Security. Society should love smoking. -uh -uh. Smoking is terrible for society. Smokers get sick. That costs a lot. And then they die and then they don't pay taxes. Yeah, but you're not thinking about nursing care. You don't need to pay for nursing care if smokers are dead. Adam, fires. Cigarettes cause fires. I don't think we're going to resolve this here on the Planet Money podcast. You and I, luckily, we don't have to because there's actually been a lot of economists looking at this number. They add up all the costs. They add up all the benefits. They compare them. And the dramatic response is, eh, it about evens out. Smoking does maybe on balance costs society a tiny bit more than it saves society, but it's only a little. And since smokers do pay a fair amount in cigarette taxes, they more than offset the cost of their smoking. Wait, wait, wait. I feel like so it's so easy to get sort of sucked into this argument and to, into these numbers and this back and forth. People are not the sum total of their insurance premiums and pensions. It's like really easy to forget that we're talking about people dying. What is the value of not having your father at your wedding? You know, how can you put that in a spreadsheet? Watch me. (laughs) See, it turns out that this problem, how do you value the loss of a human life? This is a central issue, not just for cigarette companies. I mean, every large company in some way or other, their products are likely to kill at least a few people every year. And there is now this whole field of economics. It's called hedonics that studies exactly this issue. How do you put a dollar value on life, on, on, on losing the joy of being alive? So one thing the economists say is, look, we're all of us, every one of us is lots of times putting a dollar value on our life by paying extra money to avoid certain risks that we might die, like, say, paying extra for side impact airbags. Or maybe we decide to save a few bucks, like my first car was a very old uh, Volkswagen Fox that was not going to save me <laughs> if there was any kind of accident. So so you'd look at that. You'd look at, like, the difference that you would have paid for a better car 
and then or or what you'd pay for airbags or for a carbon monoxide detector and that reveals something about how much you value your life in real money, in real dollars and cents. So economists say on average, Americans value their own lives at around $7 million. So your life, $7 million. I have to say, that seems fair. I feel like I'm $7 million worth. It maybe even seems a little high. No, Hannah, you're, you're, you're worth at least seven and a quarter. <laughs> Thanks very much, Adam. Okay, so getting back to smoking. I mean, if, if you wanted to look at this question with smoking, you would say smokers lose on average about four years of life from smoking. So you take your average lifespan, divide by seven million, multiply by four. So it's a, maybe about 400,000 per smoker. And that is the number that anti-tobacco people come up with to show that, no, cigarette smoking really does cost society a lot. They say, in fact, that if you add that value of life, if you add that 400 grand, it swamps any possible death benefit. In fact, it's so big that taxes on cigarettes, if you do the math out, should be 4 to $5 per box. Which is an argument that they make all the time now. And of course, Philip Morris has decided that they are not going to tell them that they're wrong. They're not going to offer a counterexample because they learned their lesson for large tobacco companies valuing human life, at least in public, is not a profitable activity has zero benefit, very high costs. (laughs) All right. I think that does it for us today. Our website is full of links to all of the studies that we've been talking about, npr.org slash money. My very favorite thing up there today is there's a a post about the new symbol for the rupee. They had a contest to choose the new symbol for the rupee. Jacob put this photo of this really sweet looking guy up there who won. npr.org slash money. You can hear a version of the story this weekend on the fabulous This American Life on public radio stations around the country. And then you can tell us what you think at planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Thanks for listening. Cigarettes and chocolate milk These are just a couple of my cravings Everything it seems I like's a little bit stronger A little bit thicker A little bit harmful for me If I should buy jelly beans Have to eat them all in just one sitting Everything it seems I like's a little bit